welcome to the Inspirational Loving Podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, don't forget our beautiful hardcover book, Evergreen, 50 Inspirational Life Lessons. It makes for a wonderful nightstand book, as well as a great gift that will be read and cherished for a lifetime. Purchase your copy today at inspirationallifelessons.com. Today's reading was edited and adapted from The Open Door by Hugh Black, published in 1914. There are some attractive figures who walk through life with the freedom and grace born of high courage. They keep to the end a fresh zest for living, meeting experience with a positive and even joyous air. They seem to be filled with a love of life, and yet are without fear of death. They never seem to lose their sense of adventure, and they meet life as a knight of chivalry sought danger to prove his courage. The very precarious tenure by which life is held only seems to be a spur to put them on their mettle. The uncertainty of the future acts as a tonic, nerving them to joyful effort. The first early thrill of wonder at the strange beauty of the world is never deadened. They do not want to shirk all that is coming to them, and they take the hard knocks as smilingly as the successes. Such daring figures are too rarely seen. For most of us to soon lose the expectant air and forget the early rapture. The light passes too soon into the dull commonplace, and we travel little in the uplands. Our sense of adventure is lost without regret, for we prefer to play it safe. The precarious tenure of our hold on life is a subject which we do not desire to think of more than we can help. When we are compelled to consider it, we view it with a deep dismay and are intimidated at the thought of the possible perils and nameless evils that may be met. We feel that the best plan is to move cautiously and avoid all needless risks. It is better to be safe than sorry. There is a strong feeling in favor of cowardly and timid proverbs, says Robert Louis Stevenson, for most of our pocket wisdom is conceived for the use of mediocre people, to discourage them from ambitious attempts and generally console them in their mediocrity. Stevenson is himself a good illustration of the type who look on life with an adventurous eye. He had little use for what Whitman calls the literature of woe, and just as little for whining at our lot or at our age. He was always ready to say a good word for life, and thought our little poets, with their doleful music, should be sent to look at the plowman and learn wisdom. To take life with full confidence that it is worthwhile, to put the whole weight upon the assumption that it is worthwhile, to try that fate out to its conclusion, 
is what is meant by the adventure of the open door. There is no map of life with all its continents surveyed, and all its peaks scaled, and all its valleys measured, and all the shoals and depths of its seas sounded. That map will never be made, for it would only be possible if life were static, and then it would not be life. Thus the true temper in which to meet it is in a spirit of adventure, not as a gamble, but believing in the worth of experience. This faith, like anything else, proves itself by being put to the test. The everlasting spirit of youth seems to suit the situation and to be at home among the facts. The world is so rich with such an infinite variety of scene and incident and appearance. It appeals to constant curiosity and incites new interest on every hand. Life clothes itself in endless forms. The earth and sky and sea are full of marvels. Anything may happen in such a universe. Human life also is rich with its wonderful procession of experience. Even for an observer of the cities and the ways of business, there is spread out a drama and spectacle such as never have been staged. While for a participant, who knows themselves an actor in the drama, there is no end of interest. In faithless and bitter moods, people may sometimes say that there is nothing new under the sun, though we know as a fact that there is nothing but the new. Dr. Johnson may say that a blade of grass is always a blade of grass, whether in one country or another, but we know that there are no two blades of grass alike, even in the same field. Life speaks to us with many voices, and not one of them without significance. It speaks to us in the world without, and the world within, by the infinitely little, and the infinitely great. The human comedy appeals to laughter and tears, pity and pride, and above all it calls to us to be more than mere spectators. We too are in the play, and must make our part in it as it goes along unrehearsed. By faith the human mind makes its journey through the world for knowledge and by faith the soul makes its journey through life. The true heart is not afraid to make either journey, and taste the relish of living. Generations ago artists used to discuss solemnly and tragically the great question of whether life is worth living, and wrote books and articles and poems on the subject. The only answer of any value was that of the rogue, who replied that it all depended on the liver. The jaundiced eye will see everything blurred in a haze of yellow. The value of life will only be known by the living, and the adventurous nature has at least all the chance there is. Attitude is indeed the chief difference among individuals. 
we pass it off as merely a matter of temperament, that one is constitutionally timid and another is by nature daring, that some are melancholy at the slightest excuse and the others are sanguine. It is true that we cannot always control our moods and our feelings any more than we can always control circumstances. We cannot live ever on one high plane, but we can cultivate a mood and can make it a habitude of mind, especially when it is not a question of mere mood, but of a central faith. Our life follows the fortunes of our faith, and one brave push of trust will lead out into large and spacious ways. The cowardly proverbs are answered by the bolder sayings, which tell us that if we never venture, we can never win. They wave the flag of adventure in the eyes of youth, and at least suggest a better ideal than the world's stale wisdom of stodgy respectability and cautious prudence. Adventure is the true scientific attitude towards life, for science only advances by experiment. It is true that there are risks, but just because a chemist may sometimes blow themselves up by a novel chemical composition, this does not stop experiments in chemistry. An experiment in social life may also go wrong by a wrong mixture of ingredients. But if we could not learn from our mistakes, we could not learn at all. Any open door into the unknown is an adventure, and adventure asks for courage. We will never know how anything will work until we put it to the test. Humankind is held in ancient grooves often through cowardice. Work passes into drudgery because the dull mind does not see its broadening relations to the whole of a person's life. Art grows sterile due to lack of the creative spirit that is dissatisfied with repetitions. Religion becomes convention and instead of being never-ending inspiration, imprisons the soul in routine. If the adventure of life calls for seriousness and courage, it demands above all decision. We let our chances pass through sheer irresolution. We cannot make up our minds. This is not always a sign of cowardice, but it explains much of the futility of life to most of us. The same parts are played over again with painful repetition on every stage of human history. Every attempt at reform, social, political, and religious, makes the same lines of cleavage. On the one side there is the passion of reform, and on the other side the passion of opposition and in between the colorless immobile masses that are neither for nor against, but can be either. On every question, at every crisis, there are the ineffective, those who halt, who are lame on both sides, and are of use to none, 
at least so far as active support is concerned. And this vacillation is not confined to great questions that only emerge at intervals. We see this temper of indecision every day in the characters of men and women, in a feckless inconclusiveness of life, meaning nothing in particular, seeing nothing clearly, from childhood to old age unresolved about the most serious things of life, always at a loss what to make of it when any occasion for choice occurs. This infirmity of purpose, this irresolute halting ever between two opinions, is perhaps the most pernicious flaw of character possible, making a whole life futile. A man or woman of indecisive character loses what vital force they have and are at the mercy of any outside influence that touches them. This again we put down to temperament, our common refuge today from every burden of responsibility. There is much in temperament, and what is an easy conquest to one is to another an arduous toil. But that doesn't mean we can pass by the challenges and opportunities which present themselves to us. That is to submit to be victims and not the masters of our fate. Here as elsewhere, our conduct affects our character, and indeed makes it, so far as we have the making of it in our own hands. A mean mind is made so by constant mean actions. A foul mind feeds itself on foulness. A selfish life becomes so by selfishness. A generous heart grows large by the exercise of itself. A strong character attains strength by continual decisions, as a child learns to walk by walking. So, for the final cause of want of determination and a halting between two opinions, we must look to a deeper source than the excuse of temperament. Indecision seems a special temptation of this age, since the scientific method has affected all our thinking. Science demands proof and is willing to wait any length of time for proof. So much depends on research and slow processes of discovery. There is, of course, always need for caution in things of intellect, but it is fatal policy in things of conscience. All people intend to face up to the great questions of life before they die. But meantime, there are things of primary importance which they want to secure first, and afterwards they will think of the other, when they have the leisure and security of tenure. We dream of a time when things will be easier for us, when the strain will be relieved, and we can get breathing space to come to some definite decisions. But as we are securing the means of living, life itself is slipping away from us. Those who halt, standing first on one foot and then on the other, do not really count in the game. The trimmers, the sitters on fences, the spectators, do not count. 
The greatest question ever asked of us was, what shall it profit to gain the whole world and lose your soul? But we are everywhere losing the soul and not even getting the world. It is worse than tragedy. It is a farce. There are great things to be done in life, great decisions to be made, a great adventure to follow. Surely the poorest fate is to let judgment go against us by default. The way of courage is the way of faith, one which declares the worth of all human experience, which accepts a divine purpose and is willing to stake all on the hazard. To stand shivering on the brink of the great human experiences, to let doubt unnerve or fear daunt us, so that we refuse to cherish humanity's noblest hopes, would be as futile as a pearl diver who never takes the plunge. If we believe that life has pearls of truth and beauty and love and goodness, it is the duty of wisdom to seek them, to experience the thrill of the adventure as we dive deep. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts, please visit livinghour.org. Our podcast is brought to you by the kind support of listeners like you. You can become a patron for less than a cup of coffee a month. Learn more at livinghour.org forward slash sponsor. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.